Thanks for coming out. My name is Micah Beckwith. I'm the pastor here at Life Church. I there are so many amazing faces that I'm seeing in this room. Uh, there's there's moms and dads and and elected officials and advocates and and activist groups and and uh, and we just want to say thank you for engaging in this really important issue in our culture right now. It's not just Hamilton County. It's not just surrounding counties. It's all over the nation. And I would be remiss as a pastor if I didn't, didn't tell you the root cause of this is because I believe we are fighting a very real enemy. It's a spiritual battle. And, and, the, and the devil knows that if he can win the seventh graders, he's going to win our nation in about 15 years. And that's why this is so important. And so for you to come out and say, okay, I want to get educated and I want to get activated and motivated, that means the world. And this group right here is powerful. This is a powerful group. And you know, Samuel Adams said, it does not take a majority to win. It only takes a loud and irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the hearts of men, right? And that's what we're doing here tonight is it's about freedom. It's about parental freedom. It's about parents being able to raise the kids, their kids, the way that they see fit, not the state. So we've got some, we've got some great, um, uh, a great, up, great lineup. But before we do that, I want to just recognize a few officials that are here. So I'm, I'm, this is just me glancing around the room, people I've seen. But uh, uh, Sheriff Quakenbush is here. So Sheriff, uh, if you're here, would you? Yep, there he is right there. We have, uh, we have Pete Schwartz, Pete, City Council, stand up, yeah, Noblesville City Council. Okay, we've got, we've got Representative Goodrich, Chuck, uh, yeah, thanks for being here, Chuck. So, uh, we've got, um, who am I missing? I, I saw, raise your hand if you're an elected official, and I just did not, uh, so, oh, there we go, who is that, is that, is that Dave? Dave, Dave Givel, stand up, he's newly elected to the city, uh, the city council and Fishers. Is that everybody? I just want to make sure. Is there school, anybody from school boards or any? Oh, so where's, wait. <laughs> there we go. All right. So we got Rob. Rob, stand up. Rob Steele. He's uh, in Anderson. Uh, he's on the city council in Anderson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, oh, and then I'm, I can't see. Oh, Suzanne. There you go. There's Suzanne Thompson. Thank you for being here, Suzanne. That's encouraging to know we've got elected leaders in this place that are listening and that they're fighting for us. So uh, that's good, good to know. And then we've got some great advocacy groups in the back. So um, if you have a chance and you haven't gotten back there yet, there's people fighting the, the cause. They're fighting for freedom in, in many different ways. So um, go back there uh, at some point tonight and uh, after the event's over and, and figure out how you can get plugged in. But uh, with, let, me, let me pray for us if that's okay. And then now we're going to invite up uh, our, our amazing speakers. Would you bow? And, and pray. Father, thank you for being a God of freedom. Thank you for setting us free with, with your grace and your mercy and the blood of Jesus. Lord, we, we now have freedom. But Lord, we know that that freedom isn't just spiritual. It should, it should spill out over into the world. And Lord, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're fighting for freedom, standing for truth. And Lord, would you empower us? Would you lead us, guide us, give us great wisdom and discernment? Give us great wisdom and knowledge so that we know how to lead your people well. Father, thank you for, for who you are. Thank you for being with us tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. 
All right, so tonight, the, the speakers that we have, we have, um, we were going to have Paul Lott here, but on the way, he's from Virginia, on the way to the airport, he got in a car accident, so I just want to set the stage there. He's okay, he's okay, so, uh, but boy, it's just, the devil does not want this to happen, so he gives his, his apologies, he's not going to be able to be here, uh, but uh, we have former Attorney General Curtis Hill with us in the room tonight, so... And then we have Mark Little. Pastor Mark Little is here with us all the way from L.A. So give it up for Pastor Mark Little. Mark is a, uh, a, a, for those of you who don't know, he's a gifted uh, speaker. He's a lawyer. He's got his law degree. Um, he's on Fox News often as a commentator. He's been very involved in many national uh, uh, campaigns and politics on a nationwide level. And he's, and he's really leading the charge to stand up against this critical race theory that's trying to take over our schools. And so it's, it's a blessing to have them both with us tonight. Um, before we jump into them, I want to turn your attention to the screens. We have a special award that we're going to give out tonight. A very special young lady who was brave, stood up in a school board meeting, and laid down the gauntlet. And we want to show you that clip, and we're going to invite her up and honor her tonight for standing for freedom in the next generation. Turn your attention to the screens. She has failed me as a student. For all the resource and struggling kids, this is for you. I didn't want to do this, but since I'm leaving HSC, I wanted to be a voice for you. I have been in counseling as long as I can remember because I was adopted from foster care at age four. The things I've learned along the way are being challenged now when my science or math teacher is trying to teach me how to be emotionally. And why are they teaching me about sexuality and how to identify? I don't want to hear about sexuality during class in front of other students because that should be a private thing. This should be left in the homes in between students and counselors or one-on-one -on -one conversations. This has been a very traumatic part of my past and the more the school focuses on sexuality, the more it affects me and my anxiety. It leaves confusion and frustration in my mind and I don't know how to deal with that because they only focus on more content I feel hurt about. For example, I was told I have white privilege. How can a child born in an abusive drug and alcohol abuse home who lost her entire biological family that has experienced all forms of abuse and neglect be privileged? If you found a child at 15 months in a home with holes in the floor eating cat poop, would you consider them privileged? Just asking because when I was told that I was told that I was so upset I cried myself to sleep. We have to stop the stereotypes and bitterness towards groups because it gets us nowhere but divided. I have no friends and can say HSE again has failed me. They are trying to divide us into two groups instead of bringing us together as one. Every day I felt less and less valued as a student and failed every class this past year. Academics are Demics are not important here, only how we feel and making sure we learn about sexuality, political topics, and emotional topics that teachers may or may not be able to handle, especially with trauma children like myself. I'm happy to move on and begin a fresh start and hope that this next school will love me for me and challenge me to grow in areas that I am good at. I just want people to love one another and the way we are doing it is wrong. Thank you for your time. Thank you.
Kristen is a very brave young lady. A very brave young lady. I'm going to uh, I'm going to call out here now Mark Little, who will present the award to Tristan Akers. Mark, thank you, thank you. Let me tell you, it is an honor. You don't need to sit down so quickly because I'm going to pull this woman of courage before us. Hey, Tony, look at how much you appreciate it. You're special and you're anointed for such a time as this, all right? Stand in courage. Know that the Lord has got your back. Be encouraged. You stand right there. I'm gonna ask my friend to stand with me as I present on behalf of the True America Action and Life Church with my friend Micah Beckwith. I'm going to read it for you. It's a Certificate of Courage Award, and you deserve it. It says, Tristan Akers, as a member of her community and as an individual, is recognized for her outstanding courage and bravery on advocating for herself and others at the Hamilton Southeastern School Board meeting on the 23rd of June, 2021. Congratulations. Thank you. Stand right here. Can I take a picture? And turn this around this way. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. I tell you, I, I, I'm, I've, been, I've met two realtors today, and I think I need to start looking for a home because, because there's something about Indiana that is special, and I am just thrilled uh, to be with you. I really am. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. It's a Monday night and you all have other things to do, I'm sure. I'm hearing that there are all kind of meetings all around town, and you chose to be with us. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Give yourselves a hand. That's right, that's right. If, if, if we don't applaud for ourselves, sometimes nobody else will. You gotta you got learn to pat yourself on the back. How many of you were here yesterday? Wow, wow, wow. Well, this is fast becoming home. I had the honor and privilege to uh, bring the word uh, for my friend, and I was honored uh, that he would have me. Uh, it, it's no a small feat to have a, uh, someone uh, from out of town come and preach in your pulpit, but it's even more uh, problematic if they come from Los Angeles. <laughs> so I, th I thank him for his uh, faith and confidence that that I'm directed by the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to preach tonight, so you got to come next time I, next time I come. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to just speak with you uh, just a little bit from my heart. I, I have the privilege, as, as Pastor Micah said, of doing uh, this kind of work all across 
the country, in part for the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, uh, for which I'm the chairman of the board, founded by Star Parker. And then I'm also the executive director of Cure America Action, which is our C4, and we do the on-the-ground uh, grassroots work, uh, kicking up a little dirt and, and getting people a little riled. And so, so I enjoy that, and I, I think this crowd has got a little riling in them, so I... <laughs> and that's all right. All right, so I want to start uh, first by saying that well, we're, we're going to do a lot of talking tonight uh, about race in education. We, we, we're we're going to do that. Uh, but but I, want, I want you to know that it's broader than that. And I know you all know that I've met a lot of you. And you know that it is more, it's, it's broader than just talking about critical race theory. It's broader than that. Uh, but the Marxist agenda is attempting to destroy the nuclear family, and thus America. Yeah, you can, you can applaud, you can applaud, you can applaud. Yeah. And, and the Marxist agenda is not limited to race. Race is but one line of attack aimed at the minds of our children as recent events in Virginia make it clear. Uh, lest you believe I'm ignorant to the broader agenda, I want to highlight just a few areas of concern before we get started that we must all share as a community. Uh, I also want to add something that's important that I think has gotten lost in, in our pushing back against critical race theory and SEL. I, I, I want to I add that uh, the, uh, my opposition, hear me, my opposition is not against teachers, generally. Without teachers and the good work they did in my life, I wouldn't be the lifelong learner that I am. We must be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, but we do have to be very uh, serious and deliberate about eradicating administrators school board members, and teachers who believe that it is acceptable to force-feed an ideological race-based agenda on our children and then support those who are committed to bringing out the best in all children, no matter their ethnicity. See, see, that line was a test line to see if you knew when to applaud. <laughs> Good job. As a founding board member of a public charter middle school in Los Angeles myself uh, that grew to a high school and an elementary school, I had to resign as chairman of the board just last year because of my public profile that threatened to bring unnecessary attention to our schools located in the Uber Los Angeles Unified School District. This makes it clear that the leftist ideology makes it clear that the leftist ideology, this makes it clear that the leftist ideology intends to take no prisoners. And that means that 
parents, students, and good teachers, hear me, we got to learn to do the same. We, we, we have been real, real busy with being polite. Yeah. We've, been, we've been busy at being polite, and we've been saying to ourselves, now, when is this mess going to blow over? Well, well, I've just come to tell you. I'm putting my preacher hat on now. The devil is never over. He's never done. And so we have to meet it. And we have to realize that what's happening now to our children is going to get worse if we don't stand up. And so I want to give a big picture. I want to give a big picture uh, about what's happening in primary and second education, secondary education before I get into a little of the race stuff. Is that okay? Because when you leave here, I, I, want, I don't want you scratching your head saying, boy, they're narrow-minded. Yeah, it, it's about race and education, but, but you need to take some other stuff with you, knowing that we're in the fight with you on all of the issues. Number one, I'm going to go through just four quick things. Lawlessness is a threat to public education. I authored an opinion editorial in Town Hall just last Monday, and you, I think you'll like this. It's called Hope Rising to Stop Mental Abuse of Children in Indiana. I did that for you. I did that for you. Uh, the op-ed was not only aimed at a puppet United States Attorney General, Merrick Garland, who clearly took direction from the National School Board Association to shut down parents who would dare to stand against racist indoctrination, uh, but also to applaud the efforts by this state, its parents, and your Attorney General, Rukita, for standing for children against tyrannical government. Give them a hand. And give yourselves a hand. Hi, Rachel. This kind of coordinated cooperation by states is critical to creating a chorus uh, somebody in here used to be in the choir. We, we need to create a chorus. You don't have to sing all on key either. <laughs> but we have to create a chorus. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That, that's, that's what I'm talking about. All together. A chorus against lawlessness, lawlessness, a chorus that cannot be easily ignored. You got to know when to do it, but we got to have a chorus, and we have to all sing. What's happening in Virginia right now is, is, the, is, the, is the soprano section. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to add the altos, we need to add the tenors, and we need to add the bass. We have to have a national chorus. 
against what we are experiencing. The suppression of First Amendment rights to be heard before our school boards is a violation, I am a lawyer, uh, it's a violation of constitutional protections, and you're going to hear from an amazing lawyer and friend right after me, Curtis Hill. Uh, it's a violation of our constitutional protections and is being actively promoted by our own Department of Justice, and we must be vigilant to stand against it at all costs. Terry McAuliffe in Virginia got it wrong. Attorney General Garland got it wrong. Joseph Goebbels got it wrong. Children don't belong to the state. We will not be silenced. Our children don't belong to Joe Biden. Number two, schools are failing. According to the National Center for Education Statistics for 2019, the latest numbers, in reading, fourth graders are 35% proficient and eighth graders are 34% proficient. In math, fourth graders are 41% proficient and eighth graders are 34% proficient. We must not be distracted by the current mental abuse occurring against our children. Our children are not achieving at the levels of proficiency needed to succeed in life. This is a national tragedy. Number three, bad science threatens the health and safety of our children. Masking and mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations of our children is not about the kids. It's about protecting the adults at the expense of our kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know, I know we're divided. I know we're divided. This is not an anti-vaccination speech. I know we're divided. But the statistics and the science show that the children are the least at risk. We, we can't ignore the science. We've been told, uh, follow the science, except for when it doesn't follow and support what they want us to do. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I had, I, I think I got whiplash listening to Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Y'all see I'm on one leg. I don't need whiplash too. <laughs> My goodness. See, I like this crowd. I'm moving it in the end. <laughs> In July of this year, now, I graduated from the University of Southern California from undergrad and law. No booze, no booze. Because <laughs> I'm about to read something that comes out of USC, and I don't, I don't, if you're going to boo, boo now. <laughs> In July of this year, on masking children, on the issue of masking children, USC researchers wrote the following, and I quote, the long-term harm to kids from masking is potentially enormous. 
Masking is a psychological stressor for children and disrupts learning. Covering the lower half of the face of both teacher and pupil reduces the ability to communicate. Children lose the experience of mimicking expressions, an essential tool of nonverbal communication. Positive emotions, such as laughing and smiling, become less recognizable. And negative emotions get amplified. Bonding between teachers and students takes a hit. Overall, it is likely that masking exacerbates the chances that a child will experience anxiety and depression, which are already at pandemic levels themselves. End quote. Since we have clearly lost the battle to stop harming our children with mandatory masks, my seven-year-old son is among them, comes home with a, a mask rash. The powers that be are now ready to mandate the COVID vaccine. The FDA, as you all already know, approved the Pfizer and the, what is it called, uh, the nanotech, the BioNTech, you know, the BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. Here it is. In response to 146 deaths of children in that age group. 146. Now, 146 deaths of children is tragic. Hear me, hear me well. It's tragic. But it does not arise to a national crisis. The erroneous application of science is bolstered, here we go, if not hatched by the American Federation of Teachers, who lobbied the CDC and even suggested language for the CDC's school reopening guidance that was released in last February. So we must not lose sight of their pernicious, in my opinion, agenda. Number three. Oh, no, this is number four. I can't count. <laughs> the sexualization of children robs their innocence. Various instances where transgenderism, bisexuality, and pornographic materials, various instances of exposure to these things is running rampant in primary and secondary education and largely without parental awareness, let alone consent. You, you may recall the famed Dalton School in New York was exposed for teaching sex education to first graders. And, and, the, and the graphics were teaching. Do we have any really, really young kids who can understand what I'm saying? I'm going to use a word and I don't want to be offensive to anyone. They, 
Raise your hand if it's inappropriate. They were teaching first graders masturbation. Teaching children about the birds and the bees at home is not an old-fashioned tradition. It's at the heart of responsible parenting. And it must remain that way and out of the hands of what appears to be sexual perverts masquerading as teachers who think taking minors to gay bars is education. That's what happened. That's what happened. Now, now I could take a stone or two. You know, just, just make them small. If you've got to throw them, just make, a, make, it, make it small. Or a tomato, but I really don't want to have to get this suit clean. So make, make it a small stone if you get mad, all right? Can, can, is that all right? The assault against our children with critical race theory, however, I call it mental rape. I call it mental rape. Critical race theory, most of you, I've met some folks that that don't know what it is. And so forgive me for those of you who have been living in it and been pushing against it, but not everybody understands the detail of it. And so I'm going to just share just a little bit about it, but it could take the whole night to tell you what critical theory is, which is really the real question. And then what came out of that, it could take the whole night. So we're not going to do that. At least I'm not going to in this moment. But it is being taught in our public schools. Despite the denials that it is, materials proving otherwise are in abundance. Uh, The diversity, equity, and inclusion training thrust upon teachers is just one example of how it is entering in to instruction through the hearts and minds of our teachers. As I said, it is born out of critical theory, critical legal studies. These two things then combine with critical race theory is what we are all talking about. It is a cancer on the hearts and, and on the minds of our little ones. On on October 13th, you you may have read about it, on October 13th, Benjamin Franklin Day Elementary School in Seattle, Washington, via a newsletter, they canceled Halloween. They canceled Halloween because the district said students of color specifically African-American males don't celebrate Halloween. They're just making stuff up now. (laughs) They're just making it up, making it up. I I, I remember a little boy raised in West Haven, Connecticut, raised by my single mother. I was out in the streets every Halloween. And if I didn't have a costume, I put on something that I just picked up from the closet, and I went out, and we had a good time. So this is just foolishness. 
And it, but it's frightening because they say it. And it's so foolish, it's frightening because people believe it. The school added in its newsletter, Halloween events create a situation where some students must be excluded for their beliefs, their financial status, or life experience, end quote. This is just the latest proof of how pervasive the critical race theory agenda truly is. And, by the way, it will have no end. Uh, as you study more about critical theory, you'll learn that it could be anything. It can be critical gender theory next. It can be critical sex theory next. It, it, they, they could fit any. It could be critical che uh, Cheerios theory next. You think I'm kidding. They can fit anything they want into it. Critical theory. It, 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 critical theory is, is, is critical of Western thought, no matter what it is. It's an intentional division by identity politics. Karl Marx's socialist revolution failed. And now we're experiencing, I'm going to have to coin this term, don't, don't nobody run out. How many lawyers are in here? I'm going to coin this term. The revenge of Karl Marx. <laughs> We're experiencing the revenge of Karl Marx. He failed. And his acolytes, Max Horkheimer from the Frankfurt School, and, and Herbert Marcuse and, and others, uh, Derek Bell, and, and those who came out of that, uh, 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 Antonio Gramsci, you, you all know those names. You, you know those names. Uh, the, the, they are now they've picked up the mantle. A notable proponent of critical race theory is Ibram X. Kendi, who demands whites be anti-racist as opposed to just not being racist. Gotta, now you've got to be anti-racist. All these new terms, I can't get into it, but they, they, they recreate language. They re, they're rewriting language. Anti-race, and the two are different. Non-racist is different than being anti-racist. He says in his book that I'm not going to publicize for him, and I quote, the defining question is whether the discrimination is creating equity or inequity? Is the discrimination creating equity or inequity? Here it is. If discrimination is creating equity, he writes, then it is anti-racist. If discrimination is, cre is creating inequity, then it is racist. Pretty confusing, isn't it? <laughs> In other words, even Max Kendi promotes, he promotes, he promotes, he promotes discrimination that creates equity. Used to be an oxymoron to say I promote discrimination. He promotes discrimination that creates equity. 
This is what it means to be anti-racist, according to him. Uh, this is what we're experiencing today, and they're not hiding it in their assault. Uh, we must stand against the open discrimination foisted upon us to bring about equity. Or, said a different way, to bring about the lowering of privilege of white people to some level not yet defined in order to say to blacks that you are inferior and thus need to, you, you just need the whole society to bend to make you superior. That's not America. That's offensive. One, one little girl said, one little girl said, they're, they're, teaching, they're teaching us to worship blacks. That was, that was what her young mind received. And her response to her mother was, Mommy, Mommy, I thought we were supposed to worship Jesus Christ. This is painful for me to even talk about because it's embarrassing. Because at the heart of it, this movement says that somehow black folk can't get up, go to school, work hard. Yeah, there are challenges. We all have challenges. Black, the black community has a different set of challenges. I'm not diminishing our history in this nation. I'm not even diminishing uh, uh, the need and the desire and the, and the good idea uh, that we all, as different ethnicities, share our background so that we might appreciate one another. That's a good idea. But, but to have to tell you that you've got to lay down your privilege, well, first of all, I've got a whole lot of white friends, and I'm doing far better than they are. It's, it, it's, not, it's not about the melanin in my skin. It's about what happened at home that told you to have a work ethic, that told you to value education, that told you to value family. That's what makes the difference in America. When I was shot, I, I was shot at USC and I lost my leg, and, and that's why you see me limping. A gang member uh, put a 12-gauge shotgun to my forehead, and he, and he said, give me $100. You better have at least $100, and by the grace of God, he hit me with the gun, and I threw myself down. And, and that was July 31st, 1987. And, 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 and ultimately, without going into the whole story, I, I, I suffered an amputation. Now it's from the, from the hip, from the waist down. There's no leg, just a prosthesis. Here's the point. After I went through that experience, I, I, well, during the experience, I was collecting a disability check. I was sitting in the hospital, and money was coming. 
I didn't even ask for it that I recall. So my mother must have, somebody asked for it. <laughs> but here's the point, here's the point. After the fourth month of hospitaliza- hospitalization, the world was passing me by, and I still had a, a, a antibiotics and, 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 and what is it called? You, you all know. I, thank you. I had an IV, antibiotics. And I said, y'all going to check me out of here because I need to get back to life. I got out of that hospital. I, I, before I even had a prosthesis, I was working two jobs at USC and at Continental Airlines. Life was passing me by. I had crutches and I was throwing bags onto the conveyor belt at Continental Airlines because my mother taught me to have a work ethic. That's America. That's how we teach our kids to pursue and to capture and to have the American dream. It is not elusive to anyone. It's not elusive to anyone. What is elusive is how you define it. You get to define what your dream is in America. Critical theory uh, began applying the narrative of an oppressed group and an oppressor group in order to speak about race, class, and gender. Critical race theory, uh, beloved, I'm, I'm going to call you beloved because I, I love Noblesville. <laughs> it's a Trojan horse. And it rehashes liberation theology, black liberation theology, which were poverty movements, uh, liberation theology out of Central America, black liberation theology here in the U.S. And they share the same language and the same goal, which was to simply tear down the dominant culture. White folks. Does that sound familiar, critical race theory? Critical theory then gave us intersectionality through Kimberly Crenshaw, where racism is essentially redefined. Talk about critical race theory. It's actually been redefined if you really understand what they're doing. Under intersectionality, we measure degrees of oppression. Uh, And under intersectionality, we judge the privileged or the oppressor who is white, heterosexual male, here's this a new term, cisgendered, (laughs) native born and able bodied. In other words, white man bad. As the oppressed, we measure the degrees of oppression by how we identify or intersect with various groups that include race, gender, sexual orientation, age, immigrant status, and so on. The more groups you intersect with, the more oppressed you are. And the more oppressed you are, the more moral authority you have. And the more moral authority you have, the least responsibility. You ever wonder 
why there were mobs of folks last summer that can go through, kill people, and burn down buildings? Well, it's because they're considered a part of the oppressed class. You ever wonder why the January 6th alleged insurrectionists are still locked up with no due process? Oh, they're white men, by and large. The mob that ran, ran across America, by and large, not all, but by and large, at least what they showed us, were people that looked like me. And, 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 and some, some women. I'm not a woman. I'm not a woman. Let's be clear. Nor am I transgender. I just need to be clear. But, but, but that, that is what you get. That's the fruit of intersectionality. All of this is not about race. It's, it's always been about tearing down power structures by Marxists who don't want to work for success or see the world as unfair. They want to impose equal results and not equal opportunity. This is un-American and it must be stopped by any means necessary. I'm not promoting violence. I'm not promoting violence. No. But, but we've got to go beyond where we are because where we are hasn't worked. Where, where we are allowed prayer to be taken out of schools. Where, where we are allowed the fence around marriage to be destroyed. Where we are allowed abortion in 1973. We've got to be someplace else other than where we've been. And in closing, it's gonna, because we had a guest that didn't make it, we're taking some extra liberty, and I thank you, uh, Micah. He's saying to himself, now, I thought we agreed on. <laughs> we got one voice short, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask my brother Curtis to go ahead and expand what he's going to say because this is so important and it's painful, but it's an important conversation to have. And so in closing, we, real, we, we, we need real racial harmony ourselves. We, we don't need for the government to teach us, our schools to teach us how to be, uh, how to be in racial harmony. You, you do that house to house. You, you do that coworker to coworker. You, you do that uh, uh, standing in line at the bank, banker uh, to customer. You do that when you, when you get into uh, Matthew 22 and 37, when you love your neighbor as yourself. That's community. We, we don't need woke Marxists to help us be a nation. We are the strongest nation God ever allowed to be made. So in, 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 in closing, I'm, I am a preacher, so this is my second closing. I promise I'm not going to have a third closing unless you keep laughing and keep encouraging me. Now I'll tell another story. 
But the solutions are, are, are obvious, uh, and what I said is the extra, but the solutions are the obvious, that we have to have educational choice in all of its forms. We have to put our legislators' feet to the fire by lobbying them. They work for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then you got to occupy the seats of power. You have to occupy the seats of power. Once upon a time, running for school board, we always knew it was important, but if you're in the political space, it was just the starting place. Now it's become ground zero because they're trying to destroy the next generation. What they can't do with abortion, they're doing in the classrooms of America. You must be present. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Man, what, what a word. What a word. Okay, I want to uh, quickly invite up uh, former Attorney General, Mr. Curtis Hill. Would you welcome him as he comes to the stage? Thank you. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. It's been a while since I've seen some of you, so thank you for having me down once again. I want to start off by telling you about a little tale that I heard. The Family Policy Institute conducted a survey out on the West Coast, and they took a little fellow, a five foot nine white guy, and he goes on this college campus and he talks to several co-eds and he asks them a question. He says, suppose I tell you I'm a woman. And a series of kids say, well, yeah, okay, if you want to be a woman, that's cool, man, whatever. And so he goes to the group of kids and he says, suppose I tell you I'm Chinese. And a couple of kids said, well, you don't look Chinese, but hey, if you want to be Chinese, that's okay with me. And they all said the same thing. And then he asked his third question. He said, suppose I tell you I'm six foot five. Now remember, this is a five foot nine white man. He said, suppose I tell you I'm six foot five. And one girl said, but you're not. But if that's what you want to be, okay, you can be six foot five. What I'd like to know from this audience, how did we get to the point in America where we can't tell a five foot nine white man he's not a six foot five Chinese woman. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, indoctrination began a long time ago. This is nothing new. We're just kind of waking up to what's going on. But this has been a part of a narrative to beat us down and to beat us back for decades, and we're just now getting to it. The narrative that's, let's tie it all to fear. Let's make them afraid. Why? Because if I, if I can get you to fear me, I can silence you. And if I silence you, I will obtain victory. Fear equals silence equals victory. And so what are they after? How do we get to that fear? Let's tie everything to race. That's the narrative. 
Let's tie everything to race. Why? Because an audience of folks like you are deftly afraid of being called racist. Last thing in the world you want to be known as is a racist. And by gosh, you'll say or do anything for that not to happen. Isn't that true? So let's keep that narrative up. Let's keep that narrative up. And that narrative has gone into our schools. And so what's happened? Reading, writing, and arithmetic has been replaced by inclusion, diversity, and equity. Three words that are typically innocuous words, inclusion, diversity, equity. In fact, they're good words. They're good words. It's not that the words themselves are so bad. It's how they're being used. It's how they're being manipulated. It's how you're being manipulated to be silent. Inclusion, diversity, and equity has become the idol in America. It used to be freedom. You say America. What's America stand for? Freedom. Now the left will say, what's America? America is about inclusion, and it's about diversity, and it's about equity. And I would submit in exchange for freedom. So let's look at inclusion. What is inclusion? Because we never really look at what inclusion Inclusion means, well, first of all, it does exclude somebody, doesn't it? I mean, they mean to exclude us. Our thoughts don't matter to the, those who judge what inclusion means. But inclusion is meant to be everybody gets in. Kind of reminds me of t-ball which I'm so glad I didn't play because it's a ridiculous game. <laughs> Kid stands up there and has at bat, at bat, at swing, 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 never gets out. Is that America? Does anybody here want to get a ribbon for just showing up or do you want to get a ribbon because you won? If you're in the World Series, you're playing for keeps. Are you going to put everybody in so everybody gets to play? I got news for you. If everybody gets to play, you ain't going home with the trophy. You put your best players on the field. I don't want my children judged by them just showing up. Well, we're going to put them in there. They've been included. I want them judged based on who they are, about, about, about what they accomplished. So inclusion, inclusion is not a bad thing. And in fact, it can be a good thing. But excellence is better. Now, what is diversity? Well, diversity is different. And if you look around this crowd, every one of you has a diverse viewpoint, a difference of opinion, but that's not what they mean. They mean, how does it look? And don't get me wrong, cultural diversity is absolutely something that we admire, that we want, that we desire, that we need to have. But how we look? Um, we don't have enough blacks. We need three more Asians. And from an inclusion standpoint, if we include someone because they are diverse, aren't we excluding someone because they are not? And the question becomes, who gets to make the call? Because the person who makes the call has their hand on the scale. That's not freedom. Diversity. And let's look what equity. That sounds so fair, doesn't it? Equity. What is equity? Well, it means everybody gets the same no matter what you put in. That's okay, right? So suppose um, A produces 100 units, B produces 500 units, 
and C produces a thousand units. I want to be equitable. I want to treat them fairly. So I'm going to pay each one of them $50,000 a year. Well, what's going to happen in year two? A is no longer going to be doing the thousand. B is no longer going to be doing the five. Even the hundred producer is going to say, well, this is all made up BS. I'm not going to do this. So they're going to scrap it. Equity is not a bad thing. Equity is a good thing. But fairness is better. Excellence. Competence over diversity. Fairness over equity. Don't you agree that those are better standards? And yet, all we hear in our universities, in our governments, in our businesses, is inclusion, diversity, equity. Why is that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, they're just checking the box. They are just checking the box. It is not even from the heart. It's an opportunity for someone to say, gee, let's put somebody in place. Let's appoint a diversity officer so that if somebody asks us, we've got ourselves covered. And we're all playing this game. And you know what? Nobody's going to say anything about it because if you stand up and say the truth, if you stand up and call them out, they'll say, you are a racist. You are a bigot. You don't get to play anymore because we call the shots. We're inclusive except for what's on your mind. That's how this works. That's how this works. Critical race theory is nothing more than a continuation of the narrative, make it about race, make them afraid, keep them in their seats, keep them on their hands, keep them quiet. Because this is not a typical political season where one side has control. All of the right things have lined up. They are meaning to take us out, ladies and gentlemen. This is a, this is a final solution. This is their opportunity. All the marbles here. Unless we get smart. Now, a lot of folks are coming out and being in opposition. It's not enough to simply oppose critical race theory. Why? It is intended to divide us in the first place. That's the objective. Keep them divided. So, let's think about this. If you come out and you oppose it, and simply oppose it, what's happening? We're still divided. What we need to do is do it smartly. We need to understand our history in America. We need to acknowledge and recognize our true history, which guess what? Isn't always pretty. You can't come out and say, America's always done wonderful things because America hasn't always done wonderful things and we're all embarrassed by it. It's the truth. But we don't change the truth by tearing down monuments. We don't change the truth by tearing away flags. We assert the truth by recognizing objective standards of truth. That a man is a man and a woman is a woman and there's a reason for that. So we look at our history. I know that there are folks who, and in this crowd, I'm sure because I hear this all the time, people will say to me, oh Curtis, I don't know what the problem is. I'm not a racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body. Anybody in here ever say that? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to doubt you, and I'm not going to say that you are racist. I'll, I'll tell you about me. Let me talk about me. When I see a black guy walking down the street, hat on backwards, pants hanging down so you see the... 
kind of a little bit of a dip. I think drug dealer, gangbanger. Now, that's not fair. That's not right. But it's real. It's what I think. I've been conditioned. By the same token, if I see a white guy, bald head, tattoos up his neck, tattoos on his knuckles, I'm thinking white supremacist. Guy could teach Sunday school for all I know. But that's what I'm thinking because I've been conditioned to use my brain and my past experiences to categorize people. I'm doing it here. I can see people by what they wear, what they do, and I'm making judgments. And sometimes they're wrong. I'll bet you you do that too. I'll bet you we all do that. So we have biases. If we start acknowledging our own biases, would we not then start to empathize with those who've been violated as a result of biases? Might we have a softer approach? We sometimes get really enraged. I've done it when I hear Black Lives Matter. And as soon as you hear Black Lives Matter, you say, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. And what did we accomplish? We just shouted at each other. We didn't talk to each other. We walked away angry and got nothing done. But if you look at it from a perspective, look at it from a different perspective. Have black lives always mattered in America? Well, let's take a look. When blacks were brought here from Africa, stacked like cord wood in the hulls of ships, wallowing in their own feces, blood, and urine, and vomit. You think black lives mattered then? Not a whole lot. And you move forward to the conditions of slavery. That's an easy one. Slaves, of course, their lives didn't matter. But once they were freed, surely that's some progress. Well, not quite, because we freed the slaves, but we didn't really set them up too well. And then we moved into an era of Jim Crow. Colored drinking fountains only. Rapes, lynchings. You think black lives mattered then? Not a whole lot. And then we move forward to get to the busing decision in 1954. School desegregation. Surely black lives mattered then. Only we were well into the 70s and we're still dealing with busing as a result of enforcing integration from 1954. Do you think there's some people out there who think that black lives may not have mattered a whole lot? So, when you see an event that, her, that happens in real time from someone's video, is it not true that a black person can see that event as it happens and then relate that event to experiences that person may have had and then relate that event to a history of 400 years and bring it all back home and say, oh my gosh, not again. And that may not be a fair assessment of what happened, but it's a true assessment of how that person feels about it. That black lives sometimes don't matter. And so perhaps our viewpoint should be rather than shouting back and forth about black lives matter, all lives matter, when someone says black lives matter, we say, well, sure they do. Now what do you want to talk about? Let's move on from there. We got nothing to argue about. Let's just sit down and talk. 
the left, using their narrative, would have you believe that the worst problem facing black Americans is law enforcement. Let's create a wedge between the black community and law enforcement, a permanent wedge. They'll never get past that. And that's what you saw last summer through the rioting, where you saw scores and scores throughout all the cities and the, the major cities in the country, lootings, burnings, trashings. And where did you see the police? The police are lined up watching because they've been instructed by their higher-ups not to engage because these are protests. Let's build that wedge. Do you think that the worst thing going in the black community is law enforcement? I'll give you some information here. On average, there are 10 million arrests in this country a year. 10 million. On average, there's 1,000 police shootings resulting in death. Most of them justified. In other words, the person had it coming pursuant to an investigation. But I'll give you more specific. In 2019, there were 39 unarmed individuals who were shot to death by a police officer. 39. 25 of them were white, 14 of them were black. Now, it's not to say that all of those cases should not be thoroughly investigated. Of course they should, and if anyone was out of line, they should be thoroughly punished. No question about it. But 14 individuals out of 10 million arrests, is that the biggest problem between the black community and law enforcement? How about these numbers? 13, 35, 50, and 90. 13% of the population in the United States of America is black. It's a very small number. 35% of the population in the United States of America, prison population in America, is black. 35% of the prison population in America is black compared to 13% of the general population. That's a pretty significant disparaging number. Some would say that's indication that there's racism rampant in the justice system and that's a problem. But let me give you the next two numbers. 50. 50% 50 of the homicide victims in the United States of America are black. 13% of the population, but 50% of the homicide victims. And worst of all, 90% of those who killed them were they themselves black. Now, do you think there is a violence problem within the black community that needs to be addressed? Absolutely. And are we ignoring that problem when we're focusing on the minor number of cases involving law enforcement, but continuing to build that wedge to make sure that the black community knows that the cops are not for them. That is so ridiculous because guess where the cops work? In the communities of color where the crime is occurring. But that's the narrative. That's the narrative that we're expected. And part of our responsibility, ours here first, is to understand the truth. We need to understand the truth first. And when we understand the truth, we need to find ways to convey our understanding of the truth to our friends in other communities. Because I've got news for you. Many of our friends in those communities have the same values we have. They share the same values about life, about God and prayer, about family. 
And I mean good old-fashioned mothers and fathers' family. They recognize the value of men and fathers in the household. And yet somewhere along the line, someone has sold them a bill of goods that the people in this room are racist. It's not a surprise that you hear that. Look how, uh, look at Joe Biden. He is so bold to tell black people, you ain't black if you don't vote Democrat. And as ridiculous as that statement is, it manifests itself every cycle. And part of that reason is because we aren't doing our jobs to understand our relationships and do more to improve and increase those relationships. So when we come out and we say critical race theory is wrong because it's teaching people what to think and inappropriately teaching them what to think, we just can't stop there. We have to understand that there is more that we have to learn about the history of our nation and how to properly educate as we're moving forward so that we don't come off as simply against something and against people. We are not against our history. We are not against good teaching. We are not against the truth. It's awfully funny how we get accused of not being the truth. You know, Malcolm X, Malcolm X, a great conservative leader when you hear what he has to say, Malcolm X said this years ago, he said, if you put a knife in my back, nine inches deep, and then you pull it back six inches, that's not progress. Even if you pull the knife all the way out, that's not progress. It's not progress until you start to heal the original blow. So let's talk about healing. If the original blow of our racial problems in America was slavery and 400 years of oppression, how do we heal that? How do you heal 400 years of oppression? 400 years of an open, festering wound. Well, guess what? You don't. You don't. At best, you have a permanent scar that we just have to learn to live with. And the thing about a scar is sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it bothers you, sometimes it doesn't. But the key to any scar is you don't let it define you. And black people in this community or in this country are the greatest example of that. Because blacks in the community have been behind the eight ball and have moved ahead. Have been not just not at the starting line, but 20 yards back of the starting line and still won the race. We come from the greatest achieving group to overcome in the history of the world. The success of the black community far outpaces other nations in their communities. And we need to be proud about that. I'm proud of that. We need to show that pride. We don't need to have children, black children, ashamed of their blackness or thinking that there's something wrong with them because they're black or they can only achieve something 
if someone else gives them something. We don't need that, but we have to find the right ways to convey that and work together. We have to reach people in this room, have to reach across communities into people who don't look like us. And not from a paternalistic standpoint. Don't go to a black church and say, hey, come, come see our church and come do things like we do. Maybe some of you decide, you know what, let's start going to that black church down the street. Let's get an idea of what it means to be the only white person in a black church. And see how we feel, see how uncomfortable we get, and see if we can make that level of comfort something that we can work with. Because if we can identify ways in which to bring the churches together and bring the communities together, conservative values together, we can turn all of this around. And we're going to have to turn all of this around because there's nowhere else to go. As I said, this is not just a political season. This is for all the marbles. And you're going to have to address the right types of leadership. And you are going to have to amass the right type of courage to stand up and be counted. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult because there's going to be attacks made on you. You're going to be called names. You're going to have to stand together and fight these odds. Well, that's about all I have to say. Thank you. Let's go on through. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. All right, so uh, what we'd like to do now, if you want to go ahead and pass your questions, you should have had a, uh, a card when you came in. If you had any questions, we want to, this is a good overview of the, the struggle. I think a lot of us know that. Maybe you've, you've heard some new things tonight, but I think you all knew there, there was a struggle. So how do we practically engage? And so that's what we want to, if you've got a question, what's the best way for you to be on the front lines. God has equipped you to do something. You have to engage. You don't have an option not to engage. But where you engage and how you engage may look very different based on your skill sets and your giftings and your callings and who you are and your resources. So we want to maybe give a, a, a chance for you to ask those questions. So pass them into the aisles on this side if you want to pass them this way, on this side if you want to pass them this way, and the ushers will pick them up. And then, um, here you go, guys, let me grab, grab yeah. Oh, I get the big one. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Why don't you guys, uh, here, I'll sit over here that way because I'm going to be asking you questions. So, here? yeah, yeah. So, if you want to go that way, yep. I'm warning you. I told your former attorney general, he's a local guy. He's the one that's going to help you get out of this. Yeah. Place. Yeah. That's right. That's right. In other words, I'm, I'm not going to talk as much. All right. I've got a few to start with, and then and then we'll get them. We'll get yours up here too. So, hey, can you give it up for these guys one more time? Isn't it? Isn't this good? Hey, you're higher than we are. Well, I, this, is, this is really bad optics here because I, you know, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> we, we <laughs> you demand, guys are the pros. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> so, 
the show. Okay, time. well, you know, yeah, this is gonna be in the newspaper tomorrow. I'll be like, that's what you know. So, gosh. All right. So <laughs> many stools we had. Okay. All right. Hey, um, uh, now I'm nervous. Now you got me all self-conscious. Yeah, I should sit on the floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Hey, um, okay. We're gonna we're gonna start. I've got uh, I have some good uh, teacher friends who are in the room. If you're a teacher, can you raise your hand? We got some teachers back there. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You guys are on the front lines of this battle more than any, anyone, to be honest. But um, uh, what advice do you have for teachers who disagree with the agendas they are being told to teach? That's a, that's a difficult question because they have an employment situation. And it's, and it's, it's not always about the law. My wife's a teacher. And believe me, I hear about teaching daily, uh, sometimes multiple times a day. And teaching has not, uh, has, is not what it used to be. It has become a series of, of rules and regulations uh, coming down from on high. Um, my wife shares that frustration with me on a regular basis that her, her inability to simply teach what she loves to do is threatened um, by all of the shenanigans that go along in, in the school system. And now you have, you have this, this, these debates going on with various rules and it's not just teachers that are dealing with it. You, you, we have military folks who are dealing with it. We have uh, police officers that are dealing with it on a national uh, basis. Um, it's difficult to suggest that you stand your ground when you're working and, and that's the, the only income that you might have coming into your family because the, 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 the difficulty becomes uh, you don't follow the rules, you may be disciplined. Mm. And that's a, that's a tricky proposition. Um, it's much easier to really narrate the process of what parents do with respect to uh, these problems than what teachers do because the teachers are getting it from both sides. They're getting it from parents, they're getting it from administrators, um, and uh, there's not a whole lot of help for them for, uh, for difficult questions. Mark, you want to expand on that? No, I'm afraid if I respond, Indiana might just be in a revolt. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not an easy answer, and, and the same uh, thought applies to vaccination. And, and it, it, it really depends on, it's an individual um, consideration. Not everybody can walk off the job, depending on your age. Mm -hmm. If you're young, you can. If you're, if you're in the middle of the retirement cycle, you probably can. Closer to the end, and maybe you can. Um, but you said it. You said this is for all the marbles. So, so the question really becomes: How committed are we to bringing about change? If it's really for all the marbles, if we don't rise up, and if they continue to steamroll us one at a time, I'm not sure we're ever going to bring about the change that we need. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but, it's, but it's, it's a very hard question, and there's no right answer. Mm. It's a very hard question. Vaccinate or not vaccinate? Stand up against teaching critical race theory or, or, or not? Um, uh, it, it's just a very, very difficult question. Uh, but I, I'm prone 
to go right up to the edge. And right up to the edge with, I'm not doing it. But that's me. That's, that's, that's true. It's an individual, it's an individual choice. You've got to protect your family, first and foremost. Well, the, sh the shame of it is that teachers are put into a position to have to make that call on their own. There should be help coming from the General Assembly. There should be Praise help coming from the state to provide guidance to teachers, and that's what's missing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned, I'm, I'm bothered that through this process of the last 18 months, when it started in 2020, uh, everything started right after the General Assembly gaveled out. And so they kind of had an excuse. Um, the governor took action, repeated ex uh, emergency orders, lots of complaints. And you I think it's number 20, what, Monday? Is that what it is? Yeah. And lots of complaints. And many of you contacted your state reps and your state senators and said, enough of this. And what did they tell you? They said, look, we're out of session. We can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was, a, that was an okay excuse for a while. But guess what? January 2021 came and not a whole lot. So I think we need to be looking at, at making sure that we have direction coming from our state officials that actually can, uh, can vote things into place uh, to make better choices for teachers and others um, a viable option. And what, and what about the role of the union? Because where do we draw the line in what, in what they're making our teachers teach? Where, where do we draw the line? So we've got masturbation, we've got critical race theory, in other words, what's the role of the union? We know, I mean, it's sort of rhetorical. But unions should, they're, they're right and they're, and they're created for just this kind of question. How to protect teachers. If the job of the union as they see it is really to protect teachers, which I question. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Okay, so... When, when I've talked to legislators, they, they say, well, it's not the state's role to legislate curriculum. We gotta leave it in the hands of the school boards because we're local focused. We don't wanna be, you know, Republicans, conservatives by nature are less governance, right? So less, we wanna we want give it into the hands of the local communities. I, I, and, and I say, okay, that's great, but you would be jumping over yourselves and getting to a camera if, we were, if there was a school teaching KKK material to stop that, right? But you're not doing anything on the CRT stuff. Well, I think it's because it's the pressure that's coming. So when they tell, when they tell us, well, we're, we really don't like it, but it's really the school board's job to tackle this. What, what's your response to that? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a buck passing situation. I mean, if, if they want to decide, they can weigh in. So now it's for um, them. It, it, the, 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 the split of authority for schools is something that, that is a concern anyway. I mean, we have all of this, this rulemaking coming in from a national standpoint and um, getting in the way of what states and locals do within their schools. So one aspect is eliminating the federal government from the school. Now, that's hard to do. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you why that's hard to do. Because our local school districts have become like crack addicts. Yeah. The federal government puts this money out there and they say, now we're gonna give you all this money, but you're gonna to have to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we want the money, so we have to pay the, we have to pay to dance. 
if, if you want the federal government out of your pocket, all you have to do is quit taking the money. And you no longer have the rules. Mm-hmm. But having said that, guess who else does that? The state. Yeah. The state has little rules and things they, that they want you to do. So you, gotta, you, you have to play with that aspect as well. But then, even at the local level, and I mean this with, with, with uh, all due respect, many people on our school boards go at it with the best of intentions. But the, but the complexities of running a school district is so extreme. How does a regular, folk, a regular person who maintains another job uh, stay up with all of the intricacies that go on in the running of school? And we have school board members here, I know tonight. It is a difficult job at the local level to make those kind of decisions. And many times you're at the mercy of your administrators who are in the pocket of the unions. Mm-hmm. So you're getting your information from all sorts of places and not necessarily getting the truth. It's a difficult mm-hmm. proposition. Yeah, it's good. So the issue of pornography in schools has come up. Uh, Last year, Senate Bill 288 addressed that. Uh, We tried to see pornography removed from the schools. Some of the, obviously, if you're engaged, even here in Hamilton County, what's going on in Carmel, you see some of the obscene material that these these kids are are being exposed to. Um, The question here is, is pornography in schools considered unlawful? And if so, why hasn't there been any arrests? And I think what they're getting at is you can take some of that same obscene material in the library, give it to a kid and you're fine, but you walk across the street to a public sidewalk and give it to that same kid, you'll go to jail for uh, distributing pornography to a minor. Well, and you also have, I've been to some of these meetings, you have very graphic content. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's particularly what we're talking about. We're not necessarily talking about centerfolds. We're talking about graphic content and descriptions uh, that are well over the top that would qualify as, as uh, obscene by any other standard. And yet they're hiding under the guise of being art. <laughs> Uh, when, when Senate Bill 288 was, was being uh, heard in, in committee, uh, some of the parents came down and were going to read some of the stuff that was in the, in the books. And they were told by legislative assistants, you can't read that out loud. And they were like, exactly, right? And, and they were, they were so we were, this is going to go out to the public. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and yet, yeah, we know. Like, that's why we're doing what we're doing. But yet, we have this mindset. It's like, well, schools is one thing, but man, we're not going to read it out loud and where we're at, but yeah, our kids are being, how is that unlawful, how is that lawful to get away with that if, you know, if that's it's lawful until someone puts a stop to it. What they need to do is create a standard by which uh, materials are reviewed and determined to be appropriate for kids, not appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. The General Assembly has to make that call and not continue to ignore the problem. That's good. Uh, my, my response is, as a, as a litigator myself, somebody just needs to sue them and let's find out how. Yeah. That's good. Um, I have the, uh, I, I'm getting a, a running theme here, thanks Terry, I'm getting a running theme here that the General Assembly, the legislative branch is the most powerful branch of government, it seems like is what you're telling me here, yes. so they could put a stop to a lot of things if they wanted to, yes. right? Yep. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking about schools specifically, now you guys, California is a little different than Indiana. Thank God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And we would love to have you move here, Mark. I mean, I'm telling you, so, yeah. I just want to carry the briefcase, that's all I want. 
Um, and so you, you may, you may know, uh, have an answer to this or you may not, and that's fine, but what is the best way to get information on people who are running for school board in smaller level, like the, the down ballot races? I mean, we don't have a clue when we go. I, I'm engaged in politics, and I still don't even know where I can find information on some of these school board candidates. So what would you guys say to that? Well, obviously, the standard it varies by county, in fact. Uh, for, for us, it's the registrar of the quarter, and everybody who's running has to register, and you can go, and it's public information. Uh, and then, of course, they send you uh, the, the ballot information. But how do you find but, out but who they are? Not, but that's not going to tell you who the screwballs exactly, are. Exactly, right, yes. And the, yes. Well, so your question is how can you find out? Really yes, yeah, that vetting that the candidate. Right, 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 yeah, vetting the candidates, yes. Yes, we can go and, get names. Yeah, in but, yeah, many instances, yeah. you are. I mean, it's, yeah. it's difficult. I know when I go to the ballot box myself, there's, there are times when I leave a, 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 a election uh, spot vacant because I don't know the people. Yeah. No one has contacted me with information or I don't know enough about it, and I'm not going to give someone my vote not knowing anything about them. But... At that particular level, so many people don't have a clue about the information, and uh, certainly it's probably gotten better with the advent of, of internet and web activities and that sort of thing, but it's still no guarantee that you're gonna get the right information, so oftentimes you just see names on there that you have no idea what they stand for. Same with judges. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. There is a measure next session that I'm pretty sure is going to pass, so call your senator and your representative, but they're going to make school board races partisan, so they're going to have to declare a party. And obviously the teachers union doesn't like that, and they're going to, they're going to argue their whole pushback is going to be like, schools should not be part, we shouldn't be political in the schools, <laughs> right? But we know even that right there is one little tidbit of information that we can say, okay, at least they align with that. And then people say, well, they could just lie. Yeah, they could. But think about this. If a progressive liberal runs as a Republican, think about how much credibility they're losing in their peer groups, right? And they're around the Thanksgiving dinner table and around, like, they're going to have to put some cred on the line if they skip and, and say, I'm going to run as a Republican now. But so push that because that will at least help vet some people. That will help vet some people, but the, the, probably, the better avenue, once someone has been elected on the board, are for groups of concerned individuals to track and follow what they do uh, mm -hmm. going forward so you understand what they are about the votes that they've taken. So if they say one thing and they vote another, well, then you've got an answer for yeah. them when, they're t when their seat comes yeah. up. Yeah, do your do homework. homework. Yeah, that's true. It, it, I guess it is incumbent on us, right? I mean, how much do we care? How much are we going to engage? I mean, I think tonight's a great turnout. I think people are caring. People are engaging. But we've got to continue this momentum. Uh, I want to recognize someone real quick. Uh, uh, Mike and Kathy Morris, where, where are they at? Are they in here? Are they, um, there, there they are right there. So their daughter what is, our daughter-in-law, um, Lauren Morris, is the teacher that stood up in front of the Loudoun County School Board. She worked for Loudoun County, gave that passionate plea, resigned on the spot. <laughs> And And so we see we see teachers and people fighting this critical race theory but they're having to sacrifice so much and then we see them shutting down the school board. So this question is, how do we fight CRT when the school boards won't allow the parents or the teachers for that matter into meetings? You, you replace the school board. Now, that, 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 unfortunately, that's a long-term solution for an acute problem. 
Um, but that's ultimately what you have to do. It's an, it's an elective process. They have a great deal of control and authority. We've given them that authority. If they abuse it, they have to go. That doesn't help us in the moment when it happens. And unfortunately, many of the problems that we're facing now don't have a wait and see opportunity. We don't have four years until the next election. Um, this is the accumulated problem of how this has, has, has come about to this point where we're desperate now in terms of what to do. Um, the ultimate answer, replace them. The immediate answer, I don't know. I don't know. That's not helpful. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll get a piece of that. Um, I'm trying to not be known as the rabble rouser on the stage. So. <laughs> but I, I experienced um, what I think we're going to begin experiencing all across the country. I think as parents like you, Hamilton County, have continued to stand up, uh, we're going to push these school board members into virtual meetings. And I think they're going to start just disappearing that way. But that doesn't mean, but, but the rules still apply that you still have an opportunity to speak. Uh, and, and, and in fact, that might end up being uh, a more controlled environment and, you, and it might actually promote your speech. Because then they don't have the barrier to say that they're afraid. But until you get to that point, you've got to keep your foot on the gas. And from my perspective, you got to do it until they start putting you out. Mm -hmm. Because if we just begin saying that they're not going to let us speak, they win. So you got to keep your foot on the gas in terms of being present. We never want to be violent. And we haven't been. That's all pretty much trumped up. The guy that was dragged out, poor thing, he was protesting the fact that his daughter was raped. Mm. And they made him out to be violent. Shame on them. Yeah. Now, there may be some instances that I haven't heard about. But by and large, uh, what you've done around the country, particularly in Hamilton County, you've, you've, you've showed up. You can't stop that. I'm telling you. The church has to show up. Yes. When, Amen to that. When, in California, uh, when I was standing against what was called SB 1146, the, le the state legislatures were moving to take funds away from any nonprofit. Uh, school that had a Christian code of conduct. Wow. And I went up to say, this will not stand. And what they said to me, and I knew more than half of the, uh, 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 the legislators, the black ones, they said, the church never shows up. What are you doing here? Mm -hmm. So don't assume that other people are doing what's in your heart. What's in your heart to stand is to stand. Don't assume other people are standing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I have a I have a good friend. His name is Alvin Louie. Many of you know Alvin. I don't think he's here. I don't think he's here tonight. But he's in the Carmel School District. He moved from California about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and he always, he told me the other day, and this is a this is kind of along what you were saying, Mark. He said, you know, in California, the church wasn't engaged, and he said, I, I just he said, I, I gave up trying to get the church engaged. He, he said, I figured it was the church was, they've been overrun themselves by Marxist thinking out there. He said, but, but he said, in the Midwest, I had the perception that the church just is uninformed. 
and that if they knew that this was coming, the church would engage. And he said he came out here and he started trying to get the church engaged. And he said, now I realize the church isn't engaging, period. And, and so the question is, how do we get pastors, and, and Mark, you're, you're a pastor, how do you get pastors to lead their flock to engage? Because I know churches in this area that actually even applaud CRT ideology. And, and, and so it's kind of like, if that's where their philosophy and ideology is, what do we do as the church? So I want, I want to give you uh, uh, one response that is a, uh, a micro step toward, I think, the bigger response. So I, I ran one of the largest um, black congregations in Southern California for 17 years as the COO, Chief Operating Officer and General Counsel. And we, and we did two things. We had a political action ministry for those who had it in their heart in the church to be informed or to be engaged, right? So, so they, they could be a part of the ministry and collect information, uh, obviously inform the congregation about who was running. There are things that you can do as a church that don't run afoul of the IRS code. In fact, there's quite a lot that you can do. Uh, that's number one. You have a political action ministry. As a pastor, you can say you're ministering to people in your congregation that have an, in, an interest. It doesn't make him political. That's number one. Number two, out of that crowd, you dispatch your members to intern in legislative offices or school board offices, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as kids or young adults in the community. Not necessarily dispatched based on red or blue team, right? Then ultimately you end up growing those folks up. And you got a whole congregation with about 25 of your folks who have been in the system. And that's another way, because not everybody is running for office. We've learned that a lot of the things that are being controlled are by people who are career employees in government. <laughs> So it's not just elective offices, it's also being behind the scenes uh, a part of the establishment that actually is running stuff. So that's how you do it, you infiltrate. And the church can be a deployment state, a station for that. It doesn't run afoul of, of anything with the IRS, it's getting people engaged. Pastors are more complicated. <laughs> I feel not like I'm pretty simple. Way. I don't know. I don't not, like. Not, not this one. <laughs> getting pastors engaged is, is more complicated. It's, it's complicated because uh, you talk about an issue in, in a church, and, and, and the pastor is pursuing what he thinks is right uh, politically, although it may even be rooted in biblical principle. But half the church isn't going to like it, and so half the church is going to leave. So here's what I say to the pastor. You have to decide if you want to preach the whole counsel of God or not. And if you're a pastor and you're here, and I'm not talking to my friend because I know his heart and I know what he's done, but if you're a pastor in the audience, uh, it's an issue of faith. If you were called to pastor a flock, and you pastor out of fear, then, then you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself some hard questions. Because it's a faith question. 
Either he called you to tell the people the truth or he didn't. Mm -hmm. Good. You mentioned something too yesterday when we were hanging out a little bit, Mark. You said uh, a lot of times this, is, this has been a result that pastors are no longer bivocational. And now all of their income is now tied to the tithes and offerings and the health of their church. And so you split a church, now you're threatening the income, which is kind of what some of the good teachers that we have trying to stand up, they're, they're wrestling with that too. They're saying, man, my whole income is going to rest on this, this, this stand. All the marbles are on the line. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to I want to hit this real quick. Uh, I know we're, wrap, we're coming to the end here, but uh, Curtis, I probably got about oh I don't know seven or eight uh, cards that say this in big. Uh, uh, Will Curtis Hill please run for governor? <laughs> so figured. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can I can follow that. <laughs> So it looks like we can make an announcement that Curtis Hill will be running for governor in 2024. All right, just, uh, just a couple more here, just because I want to, I there's so many good questions. Um, so, okay, so we've got, we got Chuck here. Chuck has been, uh, he's a representative, and he's really been an advocate for school choice down at the uh, state house. Um, and so we got a question on that. And I know you've worked hard to expand school choice, and they're going to still trying to keep they're going to keep expanding it, hopefully. Um, but is school choice the best solution for parents um, uh, and the community to regain control of local uh, public schools? Unequivocally. Okay. Unequivocally. Uh, uh, parental choice in education uh, has been demonstrated uh, to be significantly beneficial to, all, to, to everyone, but particularly uh, those who need it the most in underprivileged communities. Um, and from a choice standpoint, if, something, if you don't like what's going on in the public school and you have an alternative, uh, it's, from, uh, it's a, com a competition thing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the public school is either going to get better or they're going to go away. And many of us would like to see the public school go away because they've not been doing the job. Yeah. And let me be clear. When I say that the public, the, the public school system is not doing the job, I'm not talking about teachers. Teachers have been hamstrung. Yeah. They are not able to provide what they want to provide in terms of providing uh, an education to children. They're, they're acting as disciplinarians. They're acting as administrators. They, they have all sorts of responsibilities that have nothing to do with teaching. And that's, that's a huge part of the problem. Um, so yes, I think school choice is an absolute answer, and the reason that it's being uh, uh, stiff-armed the way it is is because of the special interests that don't want to see public education go around. It's all about the money, uh, because if we make the opportunity available uh, to parents who are paying attention, they're going to get their kids into a quality education. And you can see what's been happening. When I gave that example in my talk before about, uh, about the kids who were saying it was okay to be a six-foot-five Chinese woman, these were college-educated children. Uh, 21, 22 year well they used to be five year old and six year old, where did they learn this? This has been going on in the public school system for decades, so we're already behind the ball. Absolutely get parent, parental choice mm. in place. Yep. 
There is uh, uh, Eli's over there with the Institute for Quality Education. So Eli, raise your hand. And, uh, and, and they, they, they specialize in helping families find those, those, those resources for charter schools or for uh, vouchers. And so talk, talk with Eli if, you, if you're feeling that tug to get your kid out of the public school uh, um, you know, uh, system. So, and then right next to Eli, we have Purple for Parents. Rhonda Miller's there. And she's fighting. Yep. Um, she's she's fighting to uh, like pushing um, for like bills like Senate Bill 288 that would have removed pornography from school. She was a big part of getting that bill even to where it did get. And so um, hopefully we'll see that again next year. And so so thank you for what you're doing uh, for you know specifically you too for education and um, the, um, let's do this. Um, we've got a couple people who have been asking um, questions on how should you if you want to run for office if you want to run for school board. Um, how do you do that? And, and I, you both are very politically engaged and savvy. What would you say if someone is feeling the tug to run? Is it always right to run? Uh, you know, if you feel that tug, should you just get in there and just, you know, give it a whirl? Or what's some wisdom that you can impart? Because some people I know are being, in this room are being called to run. Pastor? Well, yeah, I'll, leave, I'll have you go second because you, you've held high office here. And I think your response is going to be very meaningful. For, for me, I ran for mayor in a little town in California called Inglewood. Yeah, we, my, my church bought the forum where the Lakers played. And so we were real players, and, and, and the guy that was in office is a bum. <laughs> I can say that. As a pastor, he can say that, you know. <laughs> And, and so the short answer is, just like being called to be a pastor, you got to be called. Because the sacrifice is great. And if you're not called to do it, you'll fold quick. Now, if you see it just as an opportunity, and you, you, you want to be uh, what looks like a door or or you see a, a path for you um, that, that might be ego-driven, um, you're going to be eaten alive. Because it's not pretty. It, it, if you don't get into it for the right reasons, you'll, be, you'll compromise. And the system will eat you alive. I, my friends who serve uh, in public office, I have great regard for it Because they did it for the right reasons to serve their communities. And so, so to answer the question is you gotta first look in the mirror and get a heart check that you've been called. Being a public service is a servant, being a public servant is a calling. And then secondly, pray a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Third, just look around. If you decide to run, you'll find out who your real friends are. <laughs> so if you can't handle Losing friends, you may not want to run. <laughs> and I'll let him be more granular in terms of what to do here. Very good words of wisdom. It is a lonely, lonely process to run for office. Uh, you'll have a lot of people who would cheer you on and say, Run, Curtis, run! <laughs> Himself. 
Yeah. It's like, walking out the door. When the arrows come at you, it's Curtis Duckin. The sacrifices are real. Uh, you have to have a passion for it. And even at the school board level, one could say, well, Curtis, you ran for prosecutor, you ran for attorney general. These are these big, high-profile jobs. Ooh, school board, ooh. That is very, very local, very, very nasty, very, very dirty, very, it's just ugly, ugly, ugly. You have to recognize that going in. You have to be prepared for it. As Pastor said, you know, you, you, you can want to do it, but you have to need to do it. I'm in public service. I found this out when I left office in January, uh, which may give you some hints. When I left office in January, I was kicking around for a few weeks. I kind of knew that I was built for public service because there was something about my daily existence that I missed. And, and it's, that, it's that need to, to, to do something on a grander scale for your community. And that's why you engage in public service. Now, if you're getting into it uh, for all the rah-rah reasons, and, and that's kind of silly and that will fade and you will either fold or, or, or you'll, you'll go down in flames one way or the other because that's just not the way it works. And, and I've also seen people who, and I would, I would, this is a plea, if you're gonna run for office, remember who you are, remember the passion that brought you to the office and don't become one of those people whose only job after you've won is to get reelected. Because when you only want to get reelected, you will say whatever you have to say or do whatever you have to do to get elected. And I have no use for people like that. Yeah, amen. Uh, I would much rather... I would much rather have a person who I disagree with on several issues, but who I believe in their integrity because I know they're not just telling me something to get my vote. Yeah. You want authenticity from your candidates. You need to be authentic. You need to be a real person with real blood in your veins on issues that really matter. I'll just add, uh, because you didn't say it, I thought you were going to, so I'm gonna say it. And this is for both of my friends. When they run, don't forget, they need your money. <laughs> now, now, you may not have a problem with that in the end. Amen, amen, all of those guys. <laughs> you may not have a problem with writing checks in the end, but I gotta tell you, they can't do it without you writing your check. And by the way, it's not just one check. No, you think I'm kidding. <laughs> it may not have to be a big one, but you gotta support them. Because begging while you're trying to, you know, run around and let's say he's holding office and he's still he's working and he's trying trying to stay in power and do what he needs to do for you, but he's still gotta go around knocking on the door and begging for fifty bucks. Don't 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 have either of them. Do that, please, support them. And why that's so important is because the support of people like you are grassroots. You are the real power out there. You're the voters in the booth. But the other side has the corporations and the institutions that can write gargantuan checks so they can dwarf the amount of support that you can put forward. Now, personally, I'd rather have $5 from everybody in this room because it's, it's, it means something from somebody. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at the weight of what's coming in from the other side, you have to get realistic about what, what it takes. And so that's an ex digging down deep from the grassroots level, it's not just enough to have grassroots physical voting support, but you do have to generate the resources for good candidates to move forward. Mm. That's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
I want to, real quick, um, I want to highlight a few people um, that are in the room because we're going we're gonna to wrap up here and, I, and just to honor your time, but we're going to be around. These two guys are going to be around afterwards. I know their heart is to just chat and, and if, you, if your question didn't get... I'm sleeping back, so I'm going to stay in Yeah, the back. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're going to have a slumber party back here uh, later tonight. So, uh, <laughs> man, there's going to be some really bad things written about all of us tomorrow morning in the, uh, in the newspaper. I've been on the plane at five in the If you are a, an elected official, um, would you please stand up? We, I, we had a few extra, a few more come in later. So please stand up. We want to see you. We want to know that you are here. We want to thank you for doing what you're doing. So stand up if you're an elected official. Thank you. All and right. Now I knew I was getting those brows and those friends. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, and that means a lot. I mean, highlight who's here. I mean, because they show up, and that means they're listening to some extent. They may not always do exactly what we want them to do, but that goes a long way when they, sh- when they show up. So give them a big high five and a thank you. Um, uh, okay, I want to have all of the people who are engaged in leading the different parent advocacy groups in the school. So like Fishers One, Westfield, uh, Unify Westfield, Unify Carmel, Rise America, all those groups. If you're here, would you stand up? Thank you. Thank you. That's huge. That's huge. We've got some great parent advocacy groups. I know all of them. I know all the leaders. And they are, uh, they are really solid servants. They want to just see our schools return to good education. Good, solid education based on you know, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, right history. And so get involved with those groups. And I think in Hamilton County, just so we, everyone knows, we, um, we've got, I think every Every city has one of those advocacy groups. So you can find that if you come talk to me after if you want to know what, what is in your city. Um, and then uh, I want to highlight the, uh, something that we're doing um, here in Hamilton County, Central Indiana. Uh, myself, uh, Marla Ayler, um, uh, Cher Rivado, um, Elijah Condalone, some other leaders um, in, this, in this community. I think I, those are some of the I saw here tonight. Um, but we're, we're doing a thing called the Central Indiana Coalition of Conservatives. I get a lot of people, I feel like God's placed me kind of in the middle, and there's, you know, I know kind of all the different conservative groups, and they come to me and they say, Mike, I want to get involved. I know I got to get involved. How do I get involved? Well, I got to spend 20, 30 minutes talking to each one of them, say, what's your passion? Where, you, where do you live? What would you like to see, you know, change if you could change something? And then I point them in the right direction. Well, the Central Indiana Coalition of Conservatives uh, that we're building is going to be that central hub so that conservatives can work together. So if Unify Westfield has vetted great candidates, they're going to know about it in Fishers too, right? It's going to be because we know people in, like I know Noblesville. I know people who live in Westfield. But I don't have time to vet all the Westfield candidates, but I know Unify Westfield will. And then that's where that hub is going to be. So it's called Central Indiana Coalition of Conservatives. We'll have a website. You'll have links to all the different organizations, the contact info, the events coming up. We'll send out uh, newsletters kind of promoting all those different things that are happening so you can get engaged when the time is needed. 
So that's the thing. We have to engage like Mark and Curtis were saying. You cannot stay silent. And, and ignorance isn't acceptable anymore. We've got to educate ourselves. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Now, the last thing I want to do, I just want to give honor um, uh, to the planning team for tonight. Did you guys enjoy tonight? Was that, was that good? Thank you. So the planning team, um, if, uh, if you would stand, uh, we have uh, Karen Kraft. Where's Karen? Uh, she's back there. Uh, she's, oh, she is standing. Karen, okay. Uh, we have Cher Rivado. Cher? Yep. There's Cher. We have the mother of Tristan Akers, who received the award, Tina Akers. Would you stand? Yep. Um, and, then, and then myself. You guys don't, don't clap for me. Um, and then, no, no. And then, and, and then uh, Tiffany uh, Pascoe. And Tiffany is running for school board in Hamilton Southeastern. So... Oh, by the way, it's, isn't your birthday today? Tina's birthday is today, right? So Tina, happy birthday. Everyone yell happy birthday to Tina. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you for coming tonight on behalf of Life Church uh, and uh, on behalf of Mark and Curtis. I want you to know, we're not paying these guys to be here. Even Mark, like he's doing this out of the goodness of his heart from L.A., right? That's how much they care. And so this is, uh, they love this nation. They're fighting for this nation. They're sacrificing for this nation so we can do the same. So let me pray for us, and then you're dismissed. Stay around. You can chat as long as you need to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this incredible evening. Thank you for the education. Thank you for the passion. Uh, Thank you for the encouragement. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that your spirit just begins to flood into every heart here, Lord. Uh, 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 Expose to them where they should be. Get them in alignment so that they can engage in the right areas, Lord. And help us to all unify together. Lord, help us to come together and to lift each other up, to walk alongside of each other, to be the armor bearers and the protectors when need be, and to be the fighters when we have to go into the fight. And we pray, and Lord, you are a warrior. We pray you give us your spirit. Exodus 15, 3, Father says, for the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. I pray that same spirit is alive and well in Hamilton County, in your people, in your church, in the elected leaders. And I I pray, God, that we move this community and this nation ultimately back in alignment with what you say is right. And, and Lord, give us the strength to stand boldly in these days. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night.